reading this morning is from Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Constance in a constantly changing world. You may be seated. Good morning. If you had the opportunity to be with us last week, then perhaps you remember we began to talk about a reality that all of us experience every single day. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes we welcome this reality into our lives. But other times it can be very difficult. Other times it can be a, a very challenging reality to grasp, a very challenging reality to think about because it can cause feelings of fear, uncertainty. It can cause stress, worry, anxiety, and grief. The reality is, we live in a world that is constantly changing. As I thought about that over the past week, I couldn't help but reflect on some of the things that have changed in the last seven days. Some of the things that have changed since the last time that we had the opportunity to study together. Last week, I personally heard about three funerals taking place, funerals connected to this congregation. Maybe you heard about more. Funerals and the event that brings them about always brings about change. It brings about hurt, pain, and difficulty in our lives. If you've been watching the news, one of the big headlines this week is that Andrew Como is going to be replaced as the governor of New York by a lady named Kathy Hockle. This time last week, face masks were not required in every single school in Kentucky. But this week, they are. This time last week, I had a friend who just got out of quarantine who had the coronavirus. He could not smell or taste anything. Fast forward seven days, he can taste and smell everything. It's as if he never even had the virus in the first place. I have another friend who's a preacher in Massachusetts. This, week, this time last week, he was standing before God's people preaching the Word. This week, He's in quarantine because he was exposed to the virus just a few days ago. This time last week, my parents only had one dog. See, she's a little bit mischievous. She's in a place where she's not supposed to be. This week, however, they have two dogs. They added another dog named Jake to the family. We, we hope that Jake's going to be a little bit smarter than Maggie who's sitting on top of the table. The list could go on and on. What I want us to see, what I want us to get, what I want us to understand this morning, it's the same thing that we talked about last week. We live in a world that is constantly changing. Our lives are constantly changing. Our lives are constantly shifting. And it's so easy for that to take place. 
change can take place so quickly, many times that change is outside of our control. But isn't it awesome to know that in the midst of a constantly changing world, there are some things that don't change for us as followers of Jesus. Isn't it awesome to know that in the midst of a world that's constantly shifting, there are some things that we can place our trust in. There are some things that we can hold on to. There are some things that we can stand firmly on top of because for us, these things are not going to change. We mentioned this last week. I want to mention it again. As people, we long for consistency. The only place that we can find true consistency is whenever we go to the Word of God. Whenever we read and study the pages of Scripture, the Word of God presents us with constants in a constantly changing world, three of which we talked about last week. Last week we talked about the faithfulness of God, the work of Jesus, the Word of God, and how those things always remain the same. How those things are always going to remain unchanging. This week, I want to add three more ideas to that. Three more constants in a constantly changing world. Number four, in the midst of a constantly changing world, love remains constant. Love does not change. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in just a few minutes, we're going to look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8. Before we look at that verse specifically though, when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, Paul is writing, of course, to the church at Corinth. He's addressing the many problems that they had within that congregation. One of the problems that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 12 has to do with the miraculous spiritual gifts that they had. It seems that the Christians at Corinth were fighting and arguing about these gifts. They were fighting and arguing about who had the better gifts. Those who felt like they had the best spiritual gifts began to get the big head. They were beginning to look down on those who had the gifts that weren't so good. And so throughout 1 Corinthians 12, Paul presents this argument that yes, we're many members. We all have different functions. We all have different gifts. But yet, we make up the same body. And because of that, one part of the body can't look at another part of the body and say, we don't need you. Everyone is needed. Everyone is essential within the body of Christ. So initially, that's how Paul begins to address that problem. But then when you come to the last verse, the last phrase of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31, Paul shifts his argument and he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Imagine how the Corinthians would have responded to that. Paul, what could possibly be more excellent than these spiritual gifts that we have? What could possibly be better, especially those who felt like they had the best gifts? What could possibly be better than this? What could be more excellent than this? Remember, going from chapter 12 to chapter 13 originally wouldn't have had a chapter division. So when you read from verse 31, it immediately goes into chapter 13. I will show you a still more excellent way. Well, what is that, Paul? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. When you read those three verses, what is the more excellent way? Can you see it? Mentioned one time per verse. It's love. Paul looks at the church at Corinth and he says, you're fighting and you're arguing and you're looking down on each other as a result of these miraculous spiritual gifts that you have. Let me show you something better. Let me show you something more excellent. Let's say that I have all of these gifts. And let's say I can do anything that I want to do spiritually. Paul says, if I don't have love, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I profit nothing. I gain nothing. I am Nothing if I don't have love. Love is essential. Well, Paul, if love is so essential, explain to me what it is. Define that word for me. Especially in our world, we have a lot of different definitions for the word love, don't we? Explain to me what love is if it's so important. Paul says, okay, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Here's how essential love is. Now let me tell you what love should look like. Let me tell you the characteristics that it should have. For our purposes this morning, I want us to zero in on what Paul says in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Paul wants the church at Corinth to get these miraculous gifts that you're making a big deal over, that you're fussing and fighting and arguing about, one day they're not going to be here, Paul says. He says they're temporary. One day they're going to cease. One day they're going to pass away. But what about this more excellent way? What about love? Is it temporary? Is it something that's going to cease? Is it going to pass away? What does he say? Underline it. Love never ends. In the midst of a constantly changing world, love remains the same. It's interesting to me that our behavior is oftentimes determined by our circumstances. Have you ever thought about that? How we behave and how we react, how we talk and the things we do is oftentimes determined by who we're with or where we are. Let me give you just a few examples. You're probably not going to act or dress the same way at work or school as you do at home. I'm sure that that's true for you. I know it's true for me. You're probably not going to act the same way at a rock concert as you would at the symphony. Similar circumstances, they're both concerts. But behavior is going to be different because of the differences that exist. You're probably not going to talk to a stranger the same way that you talk to your best friend. You're not going to walk up to somebody on the side of the street and tell them the things that you would tell someone who you've, who you've known your entire life. Our behavior is determined by our circumstances. Well, when we go to 1 Corinthians 13, we find something that doesn't abide by that rule. It doesn't matter where you are. And it doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter what someone has done to you or what they haven't done to you. 
It doesn't matter what someone has said or what they haven't said to you. It doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter your setting. Here we find something that should not change. Our lives should constantly be defined by this more excellent way. Our lives should constantly be defined by the love that Paul describes here. I mean, if you keep reading in 1 Corinthians, you eventually come to chapter 16 and verse 14, where Paul says, let all, not just some, but let all that you do be done in love. What about you? Is this something that's constant in your life? Regardless of how you feel or what someone has done to you, regardless of your circumstances, who you're with or where you are, is this something that can constantly be seen in your life? Are you constantly exhibiting the love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter? If you're not, go back to verses 1-3 through and ask yourself this question. If you don't have love, then what do you have? If you don't have love, then what does your standing before God really look like if this isn't constantly seen in your life? Number one, and rather number four, in the midst of a constantly changing world, love doesn't change. Number five, in the midst of a constantly changing world, we also find in Scripture that our mission does not change. Now go over with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, the very last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at the last few verses. Matthew chapter 28, looking at verses 18 through 20. When you come to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been killed, he's been buried, and raised on the third day. He told his disciples a little bit earlier, a messenger in Matthew 28 and verse 10, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers, the apostles, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So that's what they do in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples, the eleven apostles, remember Judas was dead at this point, the eleven apostles went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they had a divided response. Some of them fell down and worshipped Jesus. Others of them had some doubts and questions. But as Jesus has called His disciples to this mountaintop in Galilee, He has a mission that He wants to share with them. Beginning in verse 18, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore. He says, because I have all authority, I'm commissioning you to do this. I'm giving you this mission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When you read that section of Scripture, what is the mission that Jesus is giving? What is He commanding the apostles to do? Oftentimes when we look at that passage, we think that the command, the mission, is for them to go. And while going is certainly important, that's not the central command of the passage. When you read this in Greek, the imperative, the command, the mission of Matthew 28 is to make disciples. Jesus tells them, I want you to go to every nation under heaven. It's not just about the Jews anymore. But go to all nations and make disciples, followers, students of mine. Well, put yourself in the apostles' shoes. Jesus, how are we supposed to do that? 
How are we supposed? I, I get that that's the mission, but how are we supposed to fulfill that mission? How do we make disciples? Well, surrounding that central command, there are what we call participles that talk about how to fulfill the command. And so Jesus gives the command, make disciples, but then he gives three participles to talk about how to do it. First, if you're going to make disciples, you have to go. You can't make disciples if you don't go. Second, if you're going to make disciples, you have to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't be a disciple unless you've been baptized. And then, once they've been buried in baptism, number three, you have to continue to teach them. Continue to root them in all that Jesus has commanded. So He says, here's the command, make disciples. Here's how you do it. You go, you baptize, and you teach. And then here's the comfort and the encouragement. Know that I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. What an amazing mission that Jesus gives to the apostles. A mission that's for them only. A mission in Matthew 28 that is only for the people that Jesus is talking to on top of that mountaintop. Well, hold on just a second. Is that right? Is this mission in Matthew 28 only for the 11 apostles who originally heard it? Go back to the text for just a second. When Jesus tells them to make disciples, the last thing that they do is teach them all that Jesus has commanded. What would that have included? It would have included what Jesus just commanded. It would have included what Jesus just told them to do. And so when you look at it that way, what Jesus is saying, I want you to go and make disciples who are going to go and make disciples. Teach people who are going to teach people. That's the same thing that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. He said, what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Teach people to teach people to teach people to teach people. Make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. This is not just for the apostles. In fact, when you look at the end of verse 20, doesn't Jesus have in view the very end of the age? The end. He doesn't say, I'll be with you to the end of your lives until your ministry is finished. He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. He says, whoever fulfills this mission, my presence is going to go with them. In the midst of a constantly changing world, we as Christians have an unchanging mission. It reminds me of a story about a man named John Stott. He lived in the mid-1800s. He was a, a teacher, an elementary school teacher from Scotland. He only had one leg. One day, when he was in his mid-30s, he and his wife decided that he was going to quit his job as a teacher and go serve as a missionary in China. He went to an organization at that time who sent out missionaries to China. The head of the organization was a man named Hudson Taylor. And he told Hudson, he said, I want to be a missionary. I've quit my job. I've packed up my stuff. I want you to send me to China to be a missionary. And Hudson Taylor pushed back a little bit on that. Are, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you understand what you're getting into? This is a difficult job for people who don't have disabilities. Might be even more difficult with just one leg. John Stott responded to Hudson Taylor by saying, I don't see people with two legs going, so I must go. How could you say no to him at that point? Sent him to China. He ended up staying there for 26 years. Had a very successful missionary campaign. Ended up dying on the missionary field. Do you know what John Stott realized? 
he realized that he had an unchanging mission to fulfill. Brothers and sisters, we need to come to that same realization. The same mission that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago on top of that mountain in Galilee is our mission today. That's our purpose. That's why we're here today. We're not here to be like a country club. We're not here to worship Jesus and go home. We're not here to come together a few times a week and to enjoy fellowship and that's all we really have to do with Christianity. We're here to make disciples. We're here to go and to baptize and to teach all that Jesus has commanded while realizing that the One who has all authority is going to be with us even to the end of the age. That's why we're here. That's our mission. So why are you here? What's your mission as a follower of Jesus? As you live on a daily basis, has your life become about you? Has it become all about your family? Has it become all about climbing the ladder in multiple kinds of ways? Or every day that you live, do you have this mission in mind? It's not about going to China. It's about living where I am as a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. Is this mission your mission? Is this purpose your purpose? The world changes, but this mission doesn't from the time it was originally given over 2,000 years ago. And then number six, in the midst of a constantly changing world, we have a hope that doesn't change. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to be the last place we're going to go together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want us to notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Whenever you read this book as a whole, Peter is writing to Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor who are being persecuted. They're suffering. Chapter 1 and verse 6 says that for a little while they've been grieved by various trials. So as Peter addresses an audience that's suffering, I want you to notice the very first thing he says to them. He greets them in verses 1 and 2, and then when he gets into the body of the letter, here's what he says. Blessed be, or praise be, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter looks at a group of Christians who are suffering. And the very first thing he tells them, praise God. Bless the name of our God and Father. Well, hold on just a second, Peter. Put yourself in their shoes. We've been doing this throughout this lesson. How in the world are we supposed to do that? You know what's going on in our lives. You know the difficulty that we're having to deal with. How in the world are we supposed to praise God in the midst of that? He says, let me tell you, look at what God has done in your life. Because of His abundant mercy, He's caused us to be born again. God has done everything necessary for us to be His children. For us to be members of His family. Okay, Peter, I, I get what you said about that. I, I get what God has done in my life in the past, but don't you understand, I'm suffering in the present. I need help right now. He says, let me get to it. Based on what God has done in your life in the past, look at what you have right now. He's caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter says, even though you're suffering, Jesus is living. And because Jesus is living, your hope is living. Because Jesus isn't dead, your hope isn't dead. Because Jesus will always live, your hope will always live. Well, what is that hope for? As Christians, we have this longing and expectation and hope for something in the future. But what is that for? Verse 4, an inheritance. God's the Father. One day He's going to give an inheritance to His children. What's it look like? It's eternal. Imperishable. Undefiled. It's pure. It's unfading. A beauty of a flower fades. The beauty of this inheritance will never fade. He says it's a place reserved in heaven for you. Just like you walk into a restaurant, if you call ahead, they'll have a table reserved for you with your name on it. Peter looks at a group of Christians who are suffering and says God has a place in heaven for you. A place with your name on it. A place that's been reserved for you. Peter says, I get your suffering. Look at what God has done in your life in the past. Look at what God offers you in the future. What helps me to get through the present? I have a living, unchanging hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that changes. In the midst of our lives where our circumstances change. Our hope doesn't change. Reminds me of another story about, let's see, could you advance to the next slide for me? I think my clicker went out on me. How about that? There we go. Well, there we go. Oh, it's working again. Um, it reminds me of a story about a 16-year-old boy who was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor. The family, one thing that everyone noticed about them is that they were always filled with hope. Never heard a negative comment. Never heard a complaint. They were always positive, upbeat, and hopeful that he would recover. Fast forward about 10 months. Now the 17-year-old boy ended up passing away from that brain tumor. But yet the family was still filled with hope. And people saw that. People noticed that and they questioned it. One day, someone walked up to the dad and said, I want to know why you're still so hopeful. I can't imagine myself in that situation. Your son has passed on. There's no hope of you, getting, uh, of you getting him back. Why are you still so filled with hope? And their reply was so simple yet so powerful. He said, for Christians, hope doesn't end with death. For Christians, hope doesn't end with death. What are you going through in life right now? What are you struggling with? What's causing suffering in your life? Can you hear us clearly on this one? For Christians, our hope doesn't end with trial. Our hope doesn't end with pain. Our hope doesn't end with suffering. Our hope doesn't end with death. When we look at 1 Peter 1, our hope doesn't end Period. It's like we read in our Scripture reading. Our hope, when the storm is raging around us, our hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. I see what God has done in my life in the past. I see what God has reserved for me in the future into all of eternity. And based on those two things right now, despite my pain, I live with hope. Why? Because my life is good and I'm comfortable? No, because Jesus lives. Jesus is reigning. And as long as that is true, 
I'm going to hold on to my hope. What about you? What are you suffering with? And how are you allowing that to impact your hope? Are you allowing it to destroy your hope? Or are you looking beyond your suffering to what God has done and what God will do? Are you looking at the Lord who reigns on the throne and says, because of Him, my hope is not going to end. It's a reality that sometimes we're uncomfortable with, but we experience it every day. Our world is constantly changing. Thanks be to God that when we turn to Scripture, we find things that don't change. The faithfulness of God, the work of Jesus, the Word of God, our love, our mission, our hope, they don't change. So what? What kind of difference should that make in my life? How should that change the way that I live this week? We mentioned it last week. Let's mention it again. Let's be encouraged this week. The world is constantly changing around us. Maybe in your life, you're going to experience some very serious changes this week. Realize, in Scripture, there are things that don't change. Let's be encouraged by that. The faithfulness of God, the work of Jesus, the Word of God will always remain the same. So let's be encouraged. But let's not just be encouraged. Let's be transformed this week. Let's allow what doesn't change to change us. Let's live lives of unchanging love. Let's hold on to an unchanging hope and let's be committed to fulfilling an unchanging mission. Whenever we encounter things that don't change in Scripture, they require us to change. It might be the case that you need to make some of those changes this morning. Here is your opportunity to do that as we stand and as we sing the song that's been selected. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus fall tenderly upon your ear. Sweet His cry of love and pity call up, turn and listen, stay and hear. Ye that labor and are heavy laden lean upon your dear Lord's breast. Ye that labor and are heavy laden, 